Hi and welcome back to Police Story Podcast. This is episode 19 and I'm Dave. This is a series of uh, short stories about my 28 year career in the UK police force. Um, We've covered a few subjects, um, some of them uh, reoccurring and death is one of those. So this one is about death, um, although possibly a slightly more light-hearted story if if you can have a light-hearted story about death. You know, one of the things in the police, as we've discussed before, is, uh, you know, you do have to be careful of uh, how you deal with things, you know, in internally, you know, and mentally I'm talking about. You know, we hear lots about PTSD and cops suffering with, with you know, issues and having to have counselling. Um, all cops will have, you know, throughout their career, whether it was, you know, one year or 30 years, will have, you know, a handful of jobs that they remember particularly and perhaps two or three that will really get them every time and I'm uh, you know I'm exactly the same um, this isn't one of those stories although this one I do remember very well just because it was um, slightly unusual again um, in and around death as we said before you know new cops struggle with the concept in- invariably they're pretty young and you know have had no contact with death um, Certainly as part of the sort of police banter and, you know, initiation, this perhaps doesn't go on so much now because we uh, live in a slightly different world. But uh, certainly in relation to, we talked about mortuaries, I think, a little bit last time and post-mortems and things. And it's always a a difficult one for for the new guys and girls. Now, I'm not sure it's an urban legend or not. I've never seen it myself before, but it's certainly a story that's been passed down over the years. I've no doubt somebody somewhere has done this at some point. but um, you hear the story about the uh, the grizzled old PC who goes down to the mortuary uh, in the early hours of the morning when there's no staff about and you've got a brand new probationer on your team. Um, and uh, the story goes, as I say, I don't know if it's true or not, that uh, said sort of old sweat cop um, takes off his socks, uh, slides open one of the mortuary trays and lays in the fridge gets slid into the fridge um, with a green sheet over him and just his exposed feet that he's taken his socks off and you know they've tied a blank tag around his big toe which is how the bodies are stored in the mortuary and then lays in there while the new probationer and probably his or her tutor are brought in um, to be shown for the first time you know the mortuary to have a look around and um, you know see um, you know the procedures and what the place looks like and it takes away that sort of big deal for the first time when you go there you know genuinely with your first body so probationer walks in with the tutor and the tutor says well here's the the row of fridges you know and you just pull the handles and then the bodies slide out you know and of course they'll suggest well just have a go so you know how they work you know let's say this one here which will be the one with the uh the pc already lying in it with his green sheet on him and then the probationer slides out the tray uh, and just the toes are exposed, um, and of course at that point the, um, the 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 cop who's laying there underneath the sheet will wiggle his toes and say it's cold in here, isn't it, mate? Close the door again, would you? Or something like that. And invariably, of course, the probationer absolutely freaks out, and uh, you know, and that's obviously the whole joke of it. Now, like I say, don't know that it's true or not. Some people might think that's appalling, and yes, it probably is. But you have to remember. When you're dealing with stuff day in, day out, if you take it all too seriously, you know, and I've said this before, you will be a basket case. There has to be elements of 
humour, perhaps is the wrong word, but, you know, some light-hearted moments, even in the darkest times, because that's how you get through it, let's face it. So this story I'll tell you today is um, is a little bit unusual, and yes, about death, but possibly uh, a light-hearted version. So, picture the scene, I'm with another colleague, I, I couldn't remember who the colleague was, uh, I don't know if it was male or female, whether they had a lot of service or whatever, but there was two of us in the car, which was the norm at the time, single crewing was, was unusual, uh, it happens a lot now. And uh, we get called out on our ground to a sudden death, which, you know, happens all the time because police are informed of virtually all deaths, certainly within the home. Uh, even if it's expected, you know, there'll be an ambulance report just to let us know. And we may go along just very briefly to check details. If the person hasn't seen the doctor within a couple of weeks and the doctor is not willing to sign the death certificate, then there's every chance that uh, we will fill out a report and there will be a basic report will go to either the Procurator Fiscal in Scotland or the Coroner in England and Wales um, because they will need to decide a cause of death. So in which case it will be a full sort of death report and an investigation. Um, generally, if I say they've seen the doctor within a couple of weeks and let's say they're dying of cancer or something, you know, if doctor's happy to sign off the certificate, then that's the end of it. But it does shock people still, you know, people that already have a you know, a very bad time of it because their relative has just died when the police turn up on their door, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so, yeah, call comes in, sudden death. And this sudden death is on a um, a holiday caravan park. Now, in the UK, and I'm sure other places in the world as well, uh, there are, you know, lots of these, um, particularly on the coastal uh, areas, there's a lot of these, you know, big caravan holiday parks. And they consist of, you know, row upon row of, large static caravans so these are the ones that are kind of 30 or 40 foot long and sleep sort of six people in three bedrooms they're the they're the fixed caravans not the ones on wheels you know they're sort of up on blocks and they're plumbed in and all that you know they don't move um but they're, they're you know they're good fun these holidays i've done quite a lot myself they're great for kids because normally you have entertainment you know laid on at the at these places you know as i say very popular with kids quite often they're near beaches you know so people go over to the beach and you know, there's swimming pools and kids parks, so they're great, you know, and generally they're a bit cheaper as well, you know, so um, they do attract a lot of people. Now, some people uh, or some parks allow residential um, people to, to stay there, i.e. you can live there full time. A lot of them don't like it, but it's it's a very cheap way of living, really. So certainly in these times of, you know, financial hardship and credit crunch, as we always seem to be in, <coughs> excuse me, um, that's that's what had happened on this occasion. There was a guy that lived in this park that had died in this park. And we knew nothing more than that, really. Um, and it was right out on the edge of our ground, right on the border with the sort of next horse. So it was quite a long trek. So it was about an hour's drive under normal conditions. And obviously, you wouldn't blue light to something like that because, you know, you know he's dead. You've had the death report, you know, sort of verbally on the radio you driving faster isn't going to bring him back you know, it's not like you're trying to save anyone it's it's already gone past that so um out we go and as we turn up at this holiday park now i remember it was the height of summer so it was kind of like mid-august or something it was the busiest time for the uh, caravan park there was and when we drove onto the site there's hundreds of kids everywhere on bikes and playing football and doing all the things that kids should do in the summer you know running around and having a great time but of course, a marked police car, a uniformed police car turning up was, you know, the most exciting thing that, that had happened that day. So they were fascinated. And unfortunately, as we drove to the reception initially to find out where this caravan was, um, 
you know, there we had this sort of, we were like the Pied Piper. We had this trail of kids following us on their bikes and all that sort of with all the usual questions. What's going on, mister? What are you here for? Oh, are you going to arrest someone? You know, can we watch? And all this sort of stuff. Um, so you're just sort of, you know, playing along to a degree. But obviously we don't want them around, bearing in mind what we're going to deal with. Um, so we speak to the staff there and they said that the guy was a resident on the park um, and he'd lived there for some years and they sort of saw him on and off. Somebody had gone to check on him because they'd not seen him for a while. And then some of the neighbouring caravans had complained about flies, you know, around this um, this caravan. Uh, so a member of staff had gone out to check, kind of knocked on the door, no reply, gone in and found him, um, you know, deceased in his bedroom. Um, generally, the bedrooms and these things are kind of in the ends. Um, so, so you know, it seemed on the, on the on the face of it quite straightforward. He was fairly young, though. I think he was about... 35 or something like that maybe even 30 you know he really wasn't that old so that was this sort of standout um standout thing and i said to the staff because obviously they might know him any ideas you know did he have like you know medical conditions or anything and they just said to me um you know they, they didn't know for sure but that he didn't leave the caravan much and their sort of parting comment was he's quite a big lad so i was like okay you know had in my mind you know what big is um so we get directed and of course these places some of these places literally have like you know a thousand caravans on the site so you normally get a map of the reception and they say you know they'll mark it with a pen this is the one here you want to go to it's a really confusing place to drive around um and uh you know, all these you know hundreds and hundreds of vans you're trying to follow the map and you're trying to think which way up is it and all this anyway eventually we found our way to this this caravan and it was the standout caravan because firstly it looked a little bit kind of grubbier than all the others um and secondly even pulling up you know to the van we could see um a substantial amount of flies you know kind of uh, buzzing around unfortunately we were still the pied piper and we still had all these kids with us um so th th all the questions were coming out again you know and we were like oh no we're just going to speak to someone you know in this van no problems why don't you go off you know to to see your friends or play somewhere else and you know blah 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 just generally trying to get them away without letting them know what was going on because we knew it could be an issue um so at this point we go in and we have a look now the caravan was you know if it looked a bit grubby on the outside on the inside it was something else there was just stuff everywhere i mean it was horrendous there was mold and dirt all over the inside it absolutely stank and not just the death smell because that's very distinctive you know, and that's unfortunately something I know quite well. Uh, and again, as a cop, it's something you'll recognise very quickly. Um, but just a general terrible smell of kind of dirt and uh, something that's, you know, just not been cleaned forever. There was all sorts of um, clothes, you know, dirty clothes all over the floor and things. And, you know, it was a real state in there. Um, there was pans, dirty pans and washing up piled up in the in the sink you know that clearly hadn't been touched for months because not only were they dirty but they were full of mold and all the flies were in them as well um so this place absolutely stank and you've got to remember it was about 30 degrees you know so it was boiling hot as well and because all the windows and doors had been closed um you know it it made it even worse so not only was it you know i, I dread to think what the temperature was in the actual caravan you know, it was 30 degrees outside so you can imagine what it was like inside with all the doors and windows shut now, again, I'm not an expert on these things, but you wonder, well, how did the flies get in? You know, if all the doors and windows are shut, how did they get in? But uh, they do. And I, I think 
I read something somewhere, I'm sure you can Google it, but flies can smell death from like three miles away or something, you know, and will flock to it because what they're aiming to do is uh, lay their eggs um, on the, you know, on the corpse uh, so that uh, when they hatch into maggots, you know, they've got something to eat, but, you know, which is, you know, it's the stuff of, you know, of horror films, let's be honest. So, yes, invariably, flies would kind of follow you to any of these jobs. Um, but, th yeah, this place was horrendous. The other thing we saw on the floor, and this is quite common, and at the time I didn't know why, I understand it a bit more now, and you will as we go through, but um, there was bottles and bottles of of liquid, you know, all littered all around the caravan, two-litre bottles, and um, a lot of it was white lightning, which in the UK is like a really, really cheap cider that packs a punch. And quite often we find our sort of alcoholics will drink stuff like that because it's very cheap, but you know it's so strong that it it kind of does the does the job. You know, I'm sure in your area you'll know of the the cheap alcohol that um, you know people um, people use for that that purpose. And every country it seems have its own. So sort of down south it was it was. I don't even know if they're still going to it. White lightning cider, you know, it, probably closer to petrol than cider you know absolutely horrendous stuff very strong but very cheap so people would buy it in bulk you know and um scotland has the same you know they have their various uh things that they talk about there's one particularly that the locals will call wreck the hoose juice um which is quite well known um and uh, yeah so there, uh, there was all these empty well i say empty there was all these bottles of liquid on the floor and spread around the main caravan um, but almost certainly, and in fact, we did discover that it was bottles of urine. Uh, so he'd use these bottles as, as wee bottles rather than the toilet. And as we passed the toilet compartment, you know, that was the worst of all in terms of smell and appearance. And the door was already open. So as we walked past, I could see that the feces, I mean, no wonder he wasn't using the toilet. It was piled up like above the level of the toilet seat. It was horrendous. So, you know, Imagine this, you know, all this smell going on. And unfortunately, the deceased guy in the next room as well, in 30 degrees heat with all these flies, you know, thankfully, this is a podcast and it hasn't got smell of vision But trust me, if it had, you know, those with delicate stomachs would be uh, running for the sick bucket, you know. So we continue on and finally we get to the bedroom in this static caravan, which is, as I say, at the very far end of the caravan. Now, the doorways are quite small. Um, they're almost like sort of on ships in that they were oval, you know, so when you open the door, you had to kind of step over the lip of the door and also duck your head a bit to get in. You know, it wasn't like a full size door. And, you know, I'm not massive, but especially with my body armor and stuff, I had to kind of turn sideways to shuffle through that door. That's how narrow it was. So we open the door and there before us is um, it's a double bed. Um, you know, and the bed is, is soiled beyond belief, not just with feces, but, um, you know, just all sorts of dirt and unpleasantness. Uh, the floor is littered even more with the, the empty bottles, you know, and also stacked up in every corner was um, empty pizza boxes. I mean, I mean, I'm talking like there must have been a hundred pizza boxes in there. Um, and... A little bit earlier, uh, when I'd been speaking to the staff and I'd said to them, you know, kind of, where is this place and do you know him and stuff? And they'd said about him, you know, he, he doesn't really leave. They'd said then that he gets lots of pizzas delivered, you know, and they come to him, but, he, you know, he just takes them through the window of his bedroom. Um, and we could see why, you know, when they his their, their comment about he's a big lad, 
Um, the covers were pulled back, so he was naked in bed, but um, he was absolutely ginormous. I mean, he must have been 30 stone, I would think. You know, and I, uh, you'll have to check what that is in pounds for Americans and people that use pounds, but, you know, he was absolutely ginormous. Um, and my instant thought was, how on earth are we going to get him out of there? Now, in other cases, you know, I've heard of fire brigade being used to sort of manhandle people out. And I've even heard of cranes being used to take people out, you know, very large people out of, you know, windows and things. But I was thinking it doesn't matter what you have. This guy isn't coming out anywhere because he just isn't going to fit. You know, I couldn't get through the door sideways with body armor on. And this guy was like three of me laying beside each other wide, you know. So instantly I could see a bit of an issue there. So once we kind of confirmed death initially, now at that point, uh, cops were allowed to confirm death if it was so far gone. Now, we think he'd been there a month or so. Um, so it was very apparent, you know, he was at an advanced state of sort of decomposition. So generally the control room, when you call up on your radio, will take that. Um, if there's any sort of query or if it's happened, you know, literally within the last few days, if it's not obvious, then they may well send out an ambulance crew who can officially pronounce life extinct and certainly that can be known as ple and you'll ask for what's the ple time because ambulance crew will come out and say time of death you know 1543 you write down your form ple 1543 um, so they pronounce life extinct but um and i'm sure other places call it different things but uh in this case you know he was so far gone it was very apparent and the control room were happy that you know uh what we told them and sort of described uh, to them so the control room sergeant was was sort of uh, satisfied that it didn't need someone to come out and pronounce life so the next stage is you say well can i have the undertakers then so um sometimes people have already sort of pre-arranged what undertakers they they want particularly if you know they're old or they've got you know some sort of condition that they know uh, is going to finish them off you know they'll have already talked with this but this guy i say was about 35 so he definitely hadn't done that so we have a duty um, you know, a duty undertaker that comes out and it rotates around, you know, half a dozen local undertakers so that it's fair and there's no sort of preferential treatment for any of them. So a local undertaker was assigned and they were heading out. Um, so we were having to think of how are we going to do this, you know, and I poked my head outside mainly to get some fresh air. And of course, all the kids were still outside, you know, um, and it wasn't like they were all with their parents. So I could speak individually to the parents and say, look, you know, could you just get the kids away from here while we just sort of move this guy, you know, it's not going to be very pleasant, etc. It was, you know, loads of kids, no parents in sight. And I know for a fact that had I said to the kids, right, kids, I want you all to go away. You know, I want you all to go away from this man while we're doing something. All that would have done is they'd have probably gone and got their mates and come back. You know, it would have been that probably would have doubled the crowd instantly because all the kids are like, ooh, what's going on? You know, so I didn't do that. Uh, and I thought, well, we'll just have to try and be as subtle as we can. So the undertakers turned up and unusually um, they were in a car and normally they have a small van and it might say private ambulance on the side. That's the classic. If you see stuff on the news, certainly in the UK, you know, and there might have been a murder or something. And you see this private ambulance turn up. That invariably is the undertakers who are going to take the body away. And um, they turned up in a car. It was like a big Volvo estate and it was blacked out in the back. But I mean, it wasn't that big. And again, I'm thinking this guy is, you know, is way bigger than your normal person. I don't even know if we're going to get him in the car, but I said to the, the guys that turned up, who thankfully were a couple of quite big lads himself, you know, um, 
I said, you have to see this guy. Come and have a look at him first because, you know, you can see, do you think he's genuinely going to go in your car? Um, so they came in and, of course, there was lots of sucking of teeth and, oof, you know, blimey. Yeah, he's a big boy. I'm, oh, I'm not sure. Um, and I said, well, we need to be sure because the last thing I'm going to do is take him out of here and then, you know, get him out into the fresh air with all these kids around to find that he doesn't fit in your car. Can you imagine it? I mean, it would be like something flipping off a comedy show. It'd be horrendous. So, so in the end, they said, well, look, we got, you know, we could measure him and, and make sure we think he's going to go in. So that's what they did. So you're in this bizarre situation where you're in this, you know, terribly smelling caravan surrounded by, quite frankly, bottles of piss and, and empty pizza boxes um, and feces, you know, stacked up in a toilet in 30 degrees heat. You know, I'm sure you're getting the idea. But um, and they're measuring this guy. So, you know, they measure his width and like, right, he's X amount, you know, he's so wide. And then particularly his his depth, you know, laying flat, how high he was, because that was going to be the issue. Um, so uh, anyway, it was decided he would go in the car. But it was going to be tight, you know. But they said, no, no, we'll get him in. We're sure. We measured it and he's going to fit. They're like, right, okay, please let him have got that right. So we had to think about it. And the only thing we could decide that, thankfully, the bedroom in this caravan, the very far uh, window was a, a big window, almost full width window. And it opened as one, hinged from the top, thankfully. So you could open it right out. Um, although it had a safety feature, and I think, where it only opened about, you know, two feet or something. Um, so that somebody perhaps couldn't fall out or, or whatever it was. So we ended up having to take some of the hinges off and actually remove the window. Because the plan was the four of us would manhandle him. Now, he didn't fit in a body bag. You know, he was just too big for it. So um, we ended up getting a sheet that we laid across him and we slid him onto the, um, with great difficulty, um, I hasten to add, slid him onto the onto the stretcher. And then we manoeuvred him over to the window. Now, the plan was the four of us would lift him because it was going to take the four of us to lift him at least. There's no way two people could lift this guy. And we would put him on the edge of the window, the window frame. And then we would move that, shuffle that uh, uh, stretcher halfway out, kind of on the tipping point to the point where the two inside could hold him. At which case, the two on the outside, which in this case was the... Uh, undertakers would run around outside the caravan and they would take the weight from the outside and support him on the balance point before we would then run around and join them and then the four of us would be able to load him into the car um but there were still kids everywhere but we just you know they had no choice we couldn't stay there i couldn't get rid of the kids um i wasn't going to start calling hundreds of cops to keep these kids back because all you do is attract more attention and make a bigger fuss so i, was, I said right let's just get on with it you know let's just get it done so we put the sheet across him, the window uh, hinges get taken off, so the window's taken out. So now this big window or this big space where the window was is there, and we're pretty confident he's going to fit out of there, um, although only just again. So we lift him with much sort of grunting and, and straining, lift him, and we get him exactly as we wanted, halfway onto it. We've now got a crowd of 20 or 30 kids standing outside, wide-eyed, kind of not really sure what they're looking at. Um, uh, lift him onto the, the balance point, the two undertakers let go and, and me and the other copper holding him on the inside while they run to the outside to get him. They must have got to about the um, the door of the caravan to, to then, you know, exit and, and head round to help. When the underneath of the window ledge, so part of the actual caravan, made this horrendous cracking noise and basically broke and completely collapsed. 
So where he was neatly balancing relatively level with us holding the inside, all it did was collapse underneath him and drop one end of the trolley, or sorry, the, um, the stretcher enough for him to spill out off the... Um, off of it onto the floor and land in a big crumpled heap at the base of the caravan window and obviously uncovered himself in the process to my horror and the horror and gasps of all the uh, collective children that are now staring at this you know this scene from a movie with this poor massive dead guy you know crumpled in a big heap uh, oh it was just horrendous and, you know, you look back now and you can chuckle, but at the time it was not a laughing matter, you know, and dignified it wasn't. But, you know, it obviously wasn't intentional. So we quickly run round as well. We chuck the um, stretcher out the window. We run round with the undertakers. We're trying to convince the kids, right, kids, just go away now. You know, of course, they're not going anywhere. Um, we have to roll this guy uh, back onto the stretcher, quickly getting covered up and then open up the back of this Volvo estate and slide him in. Now, they've got the back seats down, so it's got the length. Um, we slide him in and we get him three quarters away where into the car where he's now um, the top of his belly is basically uh, stuck on the top of the car you know because he's so high even laying on his back because he's so big um, that he it looked like he wasn't going to fit in the car so I was like this is exactly what I didn't want this is why I said measuring you know and it was all getting a bit stressful but anyway in the end um, nightmarishly we basically had to kind of push down on his stomach and kind of wobble him about and push on his stomach and push and kind of grunt and groan I mean honestly it just looked horrendous um, to eventually get him in this car now as soon as we loaded him in this car the back of the suspension kind of you know groaned under the strain and was uh, you know as it kind of you know lent right down almost touching the floor you know it now had virtually no ground clearance now this Volvo had a tow bar on it and eventually we got the door closed and the undertakers drove off and as they drove across the grass to get to the road the tow bar was plowing a furrow in the grass across this caravan site and running behind it they were now the Pied Piper was all these kids shouting and screaming you know oh my god there's a dead body in there I've seen it you know and all this I mean oh absolute nightmare uh, and sure enough, you know, when they got on the tarmac, they had just enough ground clearance to keep going. And off they went into the, the sunset, leaving us with this place, you know, and, and quite frankly, wondering, you know, just what had happened now. You know, you've got two choices at this point. You either go back to the Nick and kind of, you know, resign, or you ultimately have to kind of laugh it off, have a cup of tea, because obviously we're British and that's what we do and uh and put it down to experience you know and, and what an experience it was wow so yes another death story sort of funny obviously not for the poor dead guy but yeah um just one of those things again that you see in a career in the police um uh, and one of the stranger ones so there we go hope it was um enjoyable is probably the wrong word but perhaps interesting again um and you'll have to kind of picture that scene for yourself thanks very much for listening police stories podcast that's me done again and i'll speak to you soon take it easy bye